Here's what we're talking about. We're in a series called The Big Issue, right? The Big Issue. Um, this is about dating. This is about singleness. This is about, and God, right? Um, that's kind of what this is about. And again, the reason that we hammer this every year is because relationships are such a big deal in, in teenage culture. It was when, back in my day, right? It was in your parents' day, even though they would never say that, in your grandparents' day. Relationships are huge. Relationships are such a big deal. Um, and just so you guys know, this is kind of how this went. I wanted to like write this sermon out and plan it like point, point, point. But then like as I was reading, I was like, no, man, this is really good. I'm going to talk about this more. And I was like, no, this is really good. I'm going to talk about this more. And then I just kind of kept going and going. So this, this one really doesn't have a whole lot of like order to it. Because there's so much that's like so important, and I want to share it all, and I want to sit here for four hours and talk to you guys, but I just can't, because your brains would explode, and I would die of exhaustion, and it would just end horribly. So I kind of boiled this down into like three main points for tonight, all right? So three main points that we're going to talk through. Get your Bibles out, too. We're going to do some hopping around. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Um, so here's kind of what I wanted to do. Um, Three rules for tonight, all right? Three rules. And these rules, each one of them, applies to people who are dating and to single people, all right? It applies to my, my single brothers and sisters and those who are dating as well, all right? Does that make sense? So three rules. And again, the reason that we go through this, especially when a lot of you guys are single, is because single you will become dating you. Like when you get into a relationship, there is no switch that is flipped where you're totally different and everything changes, all right? That's just not what happens. So if I can teach you this stuff now, and you can take it with you into relationships or into whatever that is, um, I think it'll be a huge help, all right? So we're in Genesis chapter 3. It should be up on the, on the thing as well. Um, so here's rule number one, all right? Rule number one. Here we go. If you're going to date, right? Rule number one. If you're, doing, if you're going to date, Date a man of God or a woman of God, not a church boy or a church girl, all right? If you're going to date, date a man of God or a woman of God, not a church boy or a church girl. All right, here we go. We're in Genesis chapter 3. Um, Adam and Eve both eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They both eat. Genesis 3 verse 6 says, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So they both ate. They are both accountable for what they've done. But then, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, so they've eaten it, they've committed this sin, the Lord is looking. So, so now how many remember, they've both done it, right? But look what God says. But then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? They've both committed this sin, right? But God is looking specifically for Adam. This is pro so a little deeper theology here. This is probably why Eve was tempted. You ever catch that, that Satan tempts Eve and not Adam? Why would she do that? Why would he do that? This is probably why. Um, not for some ridiculous, and people will say this, and it is so dumb. Not for some, not for some ridiculous reason that they think like Eve is foolish or Eve is more easily tempted and women are more easily whatever. That, that's not it at all. That's not the case. That's not true. Um, Satan is gunning after God's created order. By taking the fruit first, right, in verse 6, by taking the fruit first, Eve is now assuming spiritual headship. Eve is assuming responsibility for the group, 
which is just Adam and Eve, by taking it first. Does that make sense? That should be what Adam does. That's what Adam's created to do. But if but Satan goes for Eve, and Eve's going to do it, he's gunning for the creative order. Satan goes to Eve. You've got to kind of read between the lines, too. Satan goes to Eve, not Adam. I don't want to talk to Adam. I want to talk to you, Eve. And he says, you make the call, Eve. Should you eat this or not? Wouldn't you rather lead, Eve? Don't you think you can do this? You see that? That's what he's doing. And notice in verse 6, right? Look back at verse 6. So when the woman saw that it was good to eat and good to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband. She doesn't ask Adam's help. She doesn't ask his advice or for his input. Because Why not? Because it says right there, he's with her. Why doesn't she ask for his help? Because you're not concerned about input when you are blinded by power. You're not concerned with other people's input when you want to lead. And this is what's happening with Eve. She took, you see it in verse 6, she took and she gave, right? That Kind of that next to last line, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave it to her husband. Eve is the leader now. Do you see this? God was the leader. God took Eve and gave her to Adam. Now Eve is taking the fruit and giving it to Adam. You see how Adam is second place in both of these now? Eve is leading now. This is what Satan has wanted all along. She's leading, she's leading poorly, and Adam is letting her do it. This is why God asks, now go back to verse 9. This is why God asks, where is Adam in verse 9? Not because Adam is the only one who mattered, not because Eve is less important. Here it is. But by asking where Adam was, God is asking for Eve too. Why doesn't he say, where's Adam and Eve? He does when he asks for Adam. That's what covenant is. That's what marriage is. They are together. It's not abusive or offensive. It's actually beautiful. Remember, Adam was waiting for Eve. We're going to see this later, but in Genesis 2.23, when Eve is created, Adam says, at last. So he wanted Eve. By only calling out to Adam, all right, fellows, by only calling out to Adam, God is assuming, remember, why does he call out for Adam and Eve? Why does he only call out to Adam? By calling out to Adam, God is assuming that Adam and Eve are so close that Adam should be so responsible, so protecting, so intimate with Eve, that all God has to do is check with Adam, and he'll know how both of them are doing. You see that? That's why he's checking with Adam. Because Adam should be so close to Eve, so protecting of Eve, so over the whole situation, that all he has to do is check with Adam to know what's going on. Um, guys, this is the serious joy of marriage if you get married. Matt Chandler says it like this, and particularly with fellas. Matt's, uh, he wrote Mingling of Souls, right, right here. His wife's name is Lauren, and this is what he says. If Lauren and I are having a problem, and Jesus comes to my door and Lauren answers it, Jesus will say, hey, Lauren, is Matt here? I need to talk to him. This is what's going on. It's the same thing. Adam, where are you? If there's a problem in the relationship, if there's a problem in the family, God will go to dad first, which is a big, this is a big amount of, of pressure. It's an awesome thing. It's what you were built to do, fellas. But it's a heavy burden. This is a big job. 
Guys, you must, and ladies, the reason you're in this part is because this is what you need to look for. And I'll get there in just a second. Guys, you must set the tone in relationships. You must be a man of God. Ladies, you have to look for a man with motivation. A man who has motivation. A man who has maturity. There is a good biblical reason. And I'm not trying to speak for everyone in here, but I think this is a solid rule of thumb. There is a good biblical reason that high school and college girls are by and large attracted to older men. Why high school girls like college guys or older guys. Why, and it happens in college too. College girl, freshman, he's a senior, he's a junior, whatever. There's a reason that that attraction exists. There's a biblical reason for it. They value maturity. They value protection. They value wisdom. Maturity, protection, wisdom. It's leadership. They want that leadership. They want to be, in, the, in a God-honoring way, protected and led and cared for. Practical way to do this for guys. Fellas, put away your phone, put down the controller, and grow. There's nothing wrong with your phone, right? There's nothing in itself wrong with your phone. Um, there's nothing wrong with having some downtime, right? Having a weekend to play with the guys. I get it. I totally get it. Um, but I think we're way past that. It's not just a hobby anymore. This is becoming a part of your life that you need. And that's not good. Ladies, here's the thing. Now for you guys. What I'm teaching the guys in terms of growing and maturing and being men of of motivation and integrity will only go as far as you take it. Here's what I mean. It'll only go as far as you take it. If the guys are trying to get out of this social media mess, they're trying to fix their hearts, they're trying to make relationships and dating and singleness, they're trying to do it all the biblical way, but they are surrounded by girls who are not doing that, it's going to kill them. If you, and this is for both now, if you are letting your idea of manhood, maturity, attraction, womanhood, if you're letting culture, if you're letting Instagram and Snapchat and your own sinful heart, if you're letting that set the rules, you will look in all the wrong places for relationships and companionship. You'll see, we talked about this last week, you'll see a house that's built out of paint, right? A house built out of paint. Paint looks good on the outside, but you can't build a house out of paint. Does that make sense? You'll see a house of paint, and instead of inspecting that house, you'll say, how much is rent? Let's, I want to live there, right? That's what you'll do. You'll want to be there immediately. And a house built out of paint, a house built on shallow things, will not hold you up. It won't just, he's cool and funny and cute, is a great place to start, that's fine, but it won't hold you up. She's cool and funny and chill is awesome, but that's not going to hold you up. You see what I mean? I know, I know a girl is not in her Bible when she gives away her heart quickly. 
I know a girl is not in the Bible when she gives away her heart quickly. Same goes for the guys. This is what the Bible does. When you read this book, okay, when you read this, when you, when you dig for a little while in this, right? Does that make sense? When you dig for a little while in this book, it's not like reading another book. It's not like reading this. It's not like reading a post online where you read it, it goes through your brain, and then it leaves. This is the Word of God. We used this example before. When I want to share my heart with you, I say things to you, right? When I'm angry, angry words come out. When I'm happy, happy words come out. My word is how I share my heart. So when you read God's word, you are getting exposed to his heart. This is the word of God you're looking into. And it fills your soul. There's a filling, look at me, there's a filling that takes place when you read this book that doesn't take place in any other book. There's a filling that takes place. When your stomach is full, right? Amen. When your stomach is full and someone offers you food, even if it's good food, you're going you're gonna to take a beat, right? You're going to think, you're going to weigh the consequences of enjoying and vomiting or enjoying and falling asleep and just knocking out, right? You're going to think through this. If you're full, if your stomach is full, you're going to think through it. But if you are starving, you don't care what it is. You're going to just go for it. You see what I'm saying? That's the condition of so many hearts. We are filled with social media, with sports and band and theater. We are filled with schoolwork, filled with accomplishments, yet we're starving for relationships. Why is that? Because the deepest part of your soul cannot be filled by anything in this world. The deepest part of your soul cannot be filled by anything in this world. The Bible does not just fill your head with words. It fills your heart with God. The Bible doesn't just fill your head with words. It fills your heart with God. A girl or guy filled with this book, filled with the Word of God, the glory of God, the presence of Jesus, they're not just going to jump into a relationship because their heart is not starving anymore. It's okay to get in that relationship, but you're not just going to jump in there. Because your heart is full, you don't have to have it now. You can take time and look and get to know and hang out in groups. 1 Timothy 5.2. 1 Timothy 5.2. Paul is talking to Timothy. Look at what he says. Older women treat as mothers. Younger women treat as sisters in all purity. That You know what he's talking about, Right? In all purity. Treating them as, as sisters in all purity. That affects what you do. If your goal, if you're dating someone and you're treating this guy or this girl in all purity, that's going to affect where you hang out and when you hang out and who you hang out with. Is it one on one? Is it in groups? Is it in the basement? Is it, you know, outside? What, what are we doing? If that's your goal, to hang out and treat this, this guy, this girl, in all purity, you can't just go into the basement together and say, okay, all purity. Okay, right? You've got to, you have to guard yourself way back here before you even ask them to hang out. You see what I mean? It changes the whole way you look at this. The Word of God filling your soul, 
My, my goal is not to get you out of here to say no to everything. That's not, no, we can't hang out. No, we can't do this. No, we can't do that. Because you could say no to things, but still really want to do them. Does that make sense? You can go to swim practice your whole life and hate swimming. You see what I mean? The heart is what matters. When your soul is filled, you look at dating totally different. When your heart is totally full, you look at everything differently. You don't just look at it the same, but I know I'm supposed to say no, so I'm going to say no. That, that doesn't do anything. For your soul to be filled, you look at everything. You see why it's good that we only hang out in groups. You see why it's good that I don't send this message. You see why it's good that I don't do these things. Song of Solomon is a book that follows a couple all the way from interest in each other all the way to growing old together. Three times in this book it says, Do not awaken love until it pleases. Do not awaken love until it pleases. Uh, Mingling of Souls covers all of the book of Song of Solomon. Matt Chandler just walks you through Song of Solomon. Three times, do not awaken love until it pleases. Listen to what Chandler has to say about this. Outside of marriage, sex becomes self-gratifying and fulfilling personal desires. Therefore, the woman pleads with us. Remember, three times. Therefore, the woman pleads with us not to awaken love. That's physical intimacy. Not to awaken love until it's time. Because if you enter into the physical too quickly. See you guys later. Because if you enter into the physical too quickly, you crush the ability to grow in intimacy. If you enter in to physical love too quickly, you crush the ability to grow in intimacy. Don't awaken love until it's time. Because if you do, here it is. got to hear me. Don't awaken love until it's time. How can, you, how can that crush intimacy? Isn't physical, isn't that intimacy? Watch. Don't awaken love until it's time. Because if you do, you will stop talking. You will stop digging around in the depths of each other's soul. You'll stop trying to figure out how to communicate better. You'll stop trying to figure out how, what makes the other person tick. Instead, you will use each other physically. It may be enjoyable for a while, but I guarantee you it will leave you hollow. It's this idea of that's what it becomes about. Now put this together. This woman in Song of Solomon loves this guy. She does. She loves this guy. She loves him dearly and she is begging not to make the relationship overly physical. She loves him and she doesn't want to make the relationship overly physical until it's time. That's what love is. The sinful human heart will play the opposite card. We should have sex. Don't you? I thought you cared about me. I don't, don't you think I'm attractive? You play like the pity party card. Don't, don't you think I'm attractive? Don't, don't you love me? She loves the guy, so she won't awaken love until it's time. The culture and our own sinful hearts say... Don't you love me? Then we have to have sex. Don't you love me? Then we have to start hooking up. Don't you love me? Then we have to start making out. Then we have to start. Then we have to start. Don't, I thought you cared about me. You see how that's the polar opposite? This is a broken understanding of what love means. If you're going to use it to get what you want. 
Look at what this woman is doing in Song of Solomon. She wants to have sex with him. She does. They're going to get married. But she is giving up her needs and her desires to protect her husband so that they can glorify God. That's what love is. Giving up your needs and your wants for the other person so that you can glorify God. I really want to do this with you. But the Lord tells us not to. He tells us not until we're married. He tells us this is good for so. I'm giving that up so that I can protect you, so that I can protect this relationship. That's what you've got to look for, fellas. Ladies, that's what you've got to strive for and look for. Guilting someone into sex is cowardly, selfish, and it is not love. Sex before marriage is never connected to bringing God glory. Ever. It is never connected to bringing God glory. It will either lead to chaos in the relationship. This happens. It will either lead to chaos in the relationship, or it will just be another sign that you have been away from God for a long time. Some people, because you know, they preach like, people will preach like, don't have sex and you'll be, or you'll get STDs and you'll be miserable and you'll die and it'll be awful. And then people will have sex before they're married and they'll be like, I don't have an STD, I'm not dead, so I guess, it, I guess I'm fine. Here's the issue with that. Some people have sex before marriage and they're not miserable. Some of you guys may be in the room and they're not miserable. They're not devastated and broken. If that's happening in your life right now, there's a real solid chance that you're not a believer. There's a real solid chance that you're not a Christian. Because for whatever reason, the Word of God is not dwelling in your heart. The Holy Spirit is not speaking out saying, this is not bringing God glory. This is not bringing God glory. You've got to stop. This is not bringing God glory. There's nothing happening. Now, there's a lot of unbelievers who will have sex before marriage, and it devastates them. Uh, I'm chaplain for several different teams. A couple of them are girls' teams. And I've had several different people in my office crying because they know they've gone too far and they didn't want to and it's brought all this weirdness. It's not, it, it's, it's just never, it doesn't end well. And if you can keep doing it and not worrying about it, then that shows that something else is going on in your heart or not going on in your heart. J.D. Greer says this, How we treat sex is one of the best determinants for what our relationship is really like with God. How we treat sex is one of the biggest determinants for what our, our life is really like with God. There are a lot of really good kids. It's like, it was this way with Twitter a long time ago. I think it's this way with Instagram and maybe Twitter still. I don't look at Twitter anymore because everybody wants to talk about politics. And I'm just like, come on, guys. So, but on Instagram, all I have to do, and I really don't do this a lot, all I have to do is swipe this, is hit the little heart button and swipe that way, and I can see what everybody in here likes on Instagram, right? You know that, right? And I look, and I look at Twitter, and I look at Instagram, and there are those here who are super good church kids, super good people, nice people, and they've liked these pictures, and I'm just like, what is going on? But it's this idea of how you treat sex is the real determinant for what's going on in your heart. You could be here every Wednesday, and I'm so glad. Every Sunday, all the Iwana medals, and, oh, and the mission trips, and the whatever, and all these things. But by yourself, alone, on the phone, how you treat sex, that's the real determinant for what's going on with you and God. So number one, 
date a man or woman of God if you want to date. Don't date a church boy or a church girl, okay? And if this is, if this is going on with you right now, if you've just blown it on this, right, you have to remember to put some grace in this as well. God could have had you anywhere tonight, and he's got you here with this weird guy talking to you about sex, right? You could have been anywhere tonight, and you're here listening to me talk to you about this and how much God loves you. So keep that in mind. He hasn't, look at me, he has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned you. He's brought you here. Number two, it's okay to date someone. It's not okay to worship that idea. It's okay to date someone. It's not okay to worship that idea. Um, Genesis 2.23, this is Adam before the fall. This is perfect Adam. He said, look, the, so Adam sees Eve for the first time. Genesis 2.23, Adam sees Eve for the first time. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This at last. He says at last, which means he's been waiting for her. He's been waiting for some. He's named all the animals and he can't find anybody that's like him. And he finally finds Eve and he says at last. This is Adam before sin. This is perfect Adam. And he, he wanted somebody. You see how that's not a sin? It's before the fall. And Adam wants somebody. Tim Keller says, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect. Did you catch that? The ache for deep friendship is an ache that is not from sin. I feel like sometimes we feel like you may feel guilty in church because you want to date. Um, you should have faith, you know, date Jesus instead, which is not a good, it's so weird on a lot of levels. And that's true, like you should have faith, obviously, in God's plan. But some of us are wired to, to desire this. We're wired to want these things. The system of male and female companionship and love, that was designed by God. It's not bad. Listen, you don't have to repress that. It's not bad to want to date. It's not. It is a bad thing to worship relationships, whether you're dating or single. You know that, right? You can be single and worship relationships instead of God. Two ways you can tell, and there's like a billion and five, but two ways you can tell if you're worshiping dating instead of God. Number one, dating is an idol when you are doing things in the relationship that don't please God, but you do them anyway. So this is one of the reasons you know it's an you know you're worshiping dating instead of God when you're doing things in the relationship that don't please God but you do them anyway. Physically is huge here, obviously. Also, we talked about this last week. Only hanging out with each other, cutting off all other relationships. You cannot just be molded by one other person. It takes a community to mold people, to keep us accountable, to mold us. It's bad for your soul if you're just hanging out one on one all the time. It's bad for your soul. It's not good for married couples to hang out one-on-one. -on -one, that's it all the time. No other friends. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not how we were designed. Number two, dating is an idol when we try to put all our hope in it. Here's what I mean. We are designed. You and I are designed. Here's how you're made. You are designed for unending happiness. Isn't that awesome? You are built to be happy and to never stop being happy. You have the capacity to never stop being happy. That's why we're constantly looking at a screen. We're constantly waiting to get out of class. We're constantly wanting bad stuff to happen. We're constantly looking for something to do. Or we're constantly ready to have nothing to do, right? Whatever brings you joy, that's what we want. And we want it to never stop. 
We are designed to have something that makes us unendingly happy. But the problem is, nothing in this world exists that can make that possible. Nothing in this world exists that can bring you unending happiness. But man, we try to look for it. You try to look for all this hope in your job. If you try to do that, it's going to stress you out to no end. You're going to constantly be in fear of losing your job. So the job can't do it. We try to put all our hope in grades. Do I really need to even go there, right? All the stress and disappointment that comes from that. Your grades can't handle your happiness, guys. They just can't. But we live in this world where nothing can please us, but yet the world teaches us to put all our hope in relationships. Nothing else in this world can hold all of our hope, but we're taught that another person can. Listen to this. This is, a, this is from the script of, and I really can't endorse this movie to you guys for obvious reasons, but this is from the script of Titanic, all right? Spoiler alert, does not end well for them. Um, listen to this. This is at the end of the movie. Listen to, what, listen to what Rose says. But now you all know there was a man named Jack Dawson, and that he saved me in every way that a person can be saved. Did you catch that? And he, he saved me. They dated or whatever. He saved me in a way, in, in every way that a person can be saved. Titanic was the first movie to make over $600 million in America alone. It's the first movie to ever make over a billion dollars at the box office. It was the first one. Because people love this idea that romance can save you in every way that a person can be saved. Matthew 19, 25 and 26. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. With God all things are possible. It is impossible. Look at me. It is impossible for a person to save you the way you need to be saved. It's impossible for another person to save you the way you need to be saved. It's possible for them to date you. It's possible for them to marry you. But when the Bible talks about marriage, it doesn't link it to salvation. That is only linked to Jesus. We're going to skip down a little bit. Next, this is a song. This is a song, A Thousand Years by Christina Perry. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the wedding song, right? Um, this, listen to the first words that she says. First verse. The day we met, frozen, I held my breath. Here it is. Right from the start, I knew I'd found a home for my heart. Home, meaning a place of safety and protection, a place you could always come for rest no matter what. Saying this home, she's saying this home, finally I found a place that won't let me down. This home, you can always go home, right? But what happens when you get into that home for rest where you desperately need it and you find that the roof is leaking and the power is out? You put your heart in that home into that other person, and it turns out that that other person that you've put your heart into has a pornography addiction. Or the home that you put your heart into is much more selfish than you thought it was. What happens if you put all your hope in something and that thing lets you down? It's going to crush you. Um, Kristen and I will have been married for one year this Sunday. Our one-year anniversary is this Sunday. They said it couldn't be done, but we did it one year this Sunday. Thank you, yeah. 
Kristen and I will be married for one year, and it, it's been awesome. Certainly not perfect, but it has been a great relationship, and we have a good one. Listen, one of my most constant prayers is that Kristen will not put all her hope in me. Because what happens if something happens to me? I don't want Kristen to be devastated for the rest of her life. I want Kristen to be happy. And the idea of Kristen, Kristen being devastated for the rest of her life over my death is scarier to me than actually dying. The only way that that won't happen is if Kristen puts her hope in something that death cannot touch. She can love me, but to put her hope in me is bad. Which leads to our last point. The happiest lives are the ones with Jesus at the center of them. Single or dating. The happiest lives are the ones with Jesus at the center of them. Not your job. Not even family. Those things are good. But if we make them gods, they'll only stress us out and disappoint us. Dating well, listen, how do you date well? Dating well is not about reading all the dating books. It's not about watching all the self-help YouTube videos, building up your confidence. Dating well, having a good marriage, is about being so satisfied in Jesus that you can stop worshiping people and start dating them. Satisfaction is when you can stop worshiping dating and finally be satisfied in your singleness. And then you can use that singleness to God's glory. You can't glorify God if you're single walking around worshiping the idol of relationships. Uh, we were going to watch it, but we're out of time. I encourage you to watch this at home. In 1981, Shel Silverstein wrote a children's book called The Missing Piece Meets the Big O. It's on YouTube. It's animated. Um, Kristen played this for a small group like back in the day, and I wept when I watched this thing. Um, in, in, it's like four minutes on YouTube. The Missing Piece Meets the Big O. In it, you see um, the story is about this piece that's trying, it's desperately trying to find a place that it fits. It's trying to find the missing piece. The story shows all the sadness that comes from worshiping the idea of finding somebody. If I could just find somebody. If I just found somebody. And the story ends with the missing piece being happy in who it is. Not in trying to find someone else. But the only thing that this story misses is that we aren't happy just in ourselves. That's what the story says. You'll be happy in yourself. But we're not happy in ourselves. Single or dating. We're anxious, selfish, sinful, and stressed. No matter how many times we read that book, that's never going to change. The only way that will change is if we can find someone, ready? If we can find someone who can take our selfishness, our anxiety, our stress and our sin, and kill it. These were the things that Jesus took with him to the cross. We say this all the time, he died for your sins, but have you ever thought about the fact that he took your stress to the cross too? He became stress, he became anxiety, he became sin, and then God killed them and him, and Jesus rose from the dead and they didn't. No boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse will ever free you the way Jesus will. The sooner you learn this, the sooner you will figure out the peace and strength that you've been looking for. Let's pray, and then we'll be out. God, thank you.